Sweet. So, in this little break between chapters, um, I wanted to talk about some of the new rules that we'll be implementing, some of the rules that we kind of discussed mid-episode, and kind of just express our thoughts and our continued development of Necroforge. Um, the first big one is the one that I'm most excited for that I really did want to bring into Chapter 2 Foul Play, but figured it'd be ideal if we just waited a little bit. Um, that way I could flesh out the rules a lot more, and that is Sanity. Inspiration for Sanity came from Call of Cthulhu, as well as some um, conversations with some of our other listeners and people who are interested in Necroforge. Um, where in a world that you die as frequently as you do, there should be some kind of mental ramification. And so that's where sanity came in. And um, that's about the extent of the inspiration I got from Call of Cthulhu because we made our sanity metric a lot more different. Um, do you guys have anything to add on sanity before I like keep diving in more? Um, I'm terrified. And excited. So there are several different ways that you can lose sanity, and at the point of losing sanity, you become mad, which means that you would basically turn your character over to the Deathmaster, and they would decide what happens to you at that point. Whether that means that they become the next villain, or if they end up in Arkham Penitentiary, it's, it's really at the DM's discretion at that point. Modes in which you'd lose sanity include death, um, like your own character's death, witnessing another player's death or any other death around you, the a betrayal from somebody that you're close to, um, fear or becoming frightened, or special role-playing scenarios such as like when Nyx had to actually fight her brother's corpse, stuff like that. Um, and then a little bit more of a difficult thing for me to figure out was uh, how a character regains sanity i kind of marked that as like vacationing through taking some downtime talking through their insanities with a role model or like a cleric of a church or something like that or reorienting oneself through diving into a passion of theirs so like oh boy i like building boats so i'm gonna build a boat and that's gonna take away from my stress of witnessing an entire town being massacred right Foreshadowing. You, for, no, that, <laughs> no, not at all. Better not be. Watch it. Do you guys have any other input on sanity and some of that? Uh, um, again, just terrified. I'm I'm so scared that I, my character is going to be lost because I suck. I'm I'm excited for it because it's gonna, as stated, it's gonna add like some some more ramifications for dying or doing certain things. You're gonna have to pay attention to the reasons and the choices behind the, the reasoning behind the choices that you make. And I also like the fact that it's based on a percentage of your sanity so that if one person has four sanity, they're going to go insane real fast. But based oh, you mean, on what you mean in like when you're looking through it, like sane, distressed, disturbed, and mad. The next yeah. We're talk about. Okay, cool. Yeah. And yeah, we'll get, we'll touch on that in a minute. Right. Have you guys thought of any ways that you would regain sanity over time besides those that I've stated? I mean, my initial thought was like if you interact with like your deity, but we don't really have one. So no. No. Okay. Um, I think we covered mostly everything with communicating with somebody kind of covers a whole lot of stuff. And then just escaping mind by passion or doing things kind of covers almost everything. Regaining sanity is actually one of my biggest concerns for sanity. There's not a real clear 
path that a player or a character can take to begin regaining mental health. And because of that, I'm concerned that that like sanity or um, damage to one's sanity would become almost permanent. And so that's well, a that's something that I've marked as a complication for the introduction of sanity. I am I kind of like it though because if you think about life, like PTSD isn't something that you can make go away. It's something you learn to live with sometimes. It's not really something that as humans we ourselves can kind of permanently fix. You start to lose your sanity and that's that's going to stick with you. So I kind of like that part of it. I can see where you're coming from with being concerned about like where you know, where we're going to regain it. I think that that's something that we'll be able to feel out, you know, when we're going. And if you feel like, if you feel like we've lost too much sanity and we're not like gaining it back, like you can always, we can always, you know, play with it. And then one other thing that I know Richard brought up when we were originally developing the, the sanity plans is we don't want a permadeath or a permanent loss of a character to be something that happens frequently. And so sanity, as far as I've, intended it so far is the only way that a character or that a player could lose their character Mm -hmm. and so my concern is that you'd lose too much sanity too quickly and not be able to regain it back Um, and then you lose that character and then another character goes insane and all that stuff so that's where i'm nervous and i want to like obviously that's why we're playtesting this stuff but Mm -hmm. i just wanted to put that little tidbit out there so that we're all aware um have we considered like a like a form like blessing or something like that that would help somebody regain like even you know temporary mental awareness or something we have not but i think that'd be a really cool thing to work on especially because like and then i mean people in in the arkham penitentiary could just be people who are so insane that you know that doesn't really affect them but i mean if it's just something that like or even it could even be like a perk maybe where you just like talk some sense into somebody like just like calm down it's okay like chill um i think doing either those two things could work i also think we could add like a cap so if you go so if you say you're still above your three quarters mark but you lost some somebody could regenerate that back up to full but if you go below three quarters and you're now in between that half and three quarters you can be brought back up to three quarters but never up past that mark again Unless without, you like go and find that like vacationing and yeah, like exactly that. without something more intense. Yeah. Okay, I really like those ideas. I especially like the idea of a perk. I think that coming up with some forms around that would be really neat. Something else I did want to add is that um, as I was making new perks, I did make perks for each class that were um, that took effect when a character was below half their sanity, so in that disturbed range. It basically just changes how the character views and interacts with the world and gives them new abilities and stuff. Um, I wanted to do that so that there was a bonus to losing sanity, or at least a type of bonus. I like that because then if we do the sort of cap thing, you could get below half and then continue to regenerate up to half via like a perk or a form, but never have to go back above it again if you didn't really want to. Cool. I look. Uh, I'm looking forward to introducing sanity. Um, I have a feeling that fairly early on in the role playing portions, that's when we're going to be losing most of our sanity, um, unless of course people die. But also, since you guys are aware that sanity is a thing, you'll probably be trying to avoid losing sanity as much as as possible. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to mess with it. So 
the next topic I wanted to talk about were the different stages of sanity that we created. And that's sane, distressed, disturbed, and mad. Um, a sane person has their sanity from full, like up to their max sanity, down to three quarters of their max sanity. Um, a sane person gains advantage on endurance checks to avoid becoming frightened, advantage on endurance checks to avoid losing sanity after death, and advantage on charm checks because they have their wits about them. Um, a character who is distressed, which is below three quarters of their max sanity and... Um, to half max sanity, loses all sane effects, and gains disadvantage on intimidate checks, disadvantage on endurance checks made for risk, and minus two to will. Before I continue, how do we feel about that application to um, risk rolls? I think I like it as the more... Hmm, yeah, because the, the more insane you get, the less you really care about risking your own life slash sanity. You know, Richard, I'm really glad that you put these into real life scenarios because all I do is just like, this would be a cool effect and then I just <laughs> make it happen and then you make sense of it. <laughs> cool. Sometimes I feel like I overthink this shit. So <laughs> No, that is perfect. It makes a lot more sense that way. So I appreciate cool. that. All right, I like that one. Last is a person who is disturbed and that's below half their max sanity. They lose all sane and distress effects. Um, they gain a minus four to will, cannot regain any HP or AP during the first hour of rest, and disadvantage on all reason-based skill checks. Um, in addition, risk difficulty and effects on risk threshold tables are increased by one difficulty. That is something that I worded horribly and doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Basically, what that would mean is if you Ha, um, if you apply one additional AP over what you should be doing, I think the the difficulty for that endurance check is usually like three. Mm -hmm. um, instead, it would be the next difficulty, which would be a five. I think the way you wrote it sounds a little weird, but the way you said it sounds better. So if instead of the first comma after reason-based skill checks, you did a period, and then you changed the and to in addition... Risk, okay. difficulty, and effects on risk threshold table. I'll, I haven't written these rules yet. This is actually the first okay. time I've actually put it to paper. And I think if you did it that way, separated it a little bit, it would make more sense for sure. And then last is a character who is mad, and that is zero sanity. And as we stated before, they lose control of their character, and the Death Master takes control of them instead. Yeah, that is exciting and terrifying. Is I, there... My, my only question there, is it like, is there a chance that that character could be like potentially redeemed or anything like that? Or is that character just like done? I think that that is entirely up to the Death Master. I don't like the idea of like killing off characters or anything any more than you guys. And I think that it'd be, it would make sense that at some point the Arkham Penitentiary would have some kind of positive effect on people who have gone insane or mad at this point. I would say that's entirely up to the discretion of the Death Master. Okay, cool. That was my question. Cool. Do you guys have any other thoughts on these different stages of sanity? No, I don't think so. As stated, you already kind of have added some things into perks that would benefit from a loss of sanity. So I think this covers the opposite of that. Um, I do want to monitor the effects from different stages of sanity and maybe change uh, change them up. Basically, my concern is that when I'm doing a lot of different effects for things, it's gaining advantage and disadvantage on certain um, skills and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I feel like there should be more to it, but I'm not as good at creating those kind of rules. And so 
while we're playing, if there's something that you guys think makes a lot more sense, then I would rather we switch it to that. I think, at least for now, the advantage and disadvantage sort of applies to no matter or to all characters, no matter what kind of build you play. Um, okay. So I really like its universal ability to affect everyone. So at least for now, I really like the way it's set up because it does have that effect on everyone. Where if you try and focus on perks or different uh, weapon tactics, stuff like that, people could avoid that, push their sanity down as far as they can handle it, and then just avoid all those negative effects. The only complication that I saw is the same thing as the effects where it adds a different level of compl- uh, it adds a more complicated feel to the game and it may be something that deathmasters just decide I don't want to use this just like how you know DMs don't um, use components and spells cuz mm-hmm. that's a load of food and water yeah it just adds yeah. more difficulty and i mean it adds to the realism mm-hmm. but it may not be something that somebody uses so yeah. that's the only thing that I've noted so far, unless you guys have identified any other complications. No, I think, again, those will, those will show up as we play. I think yeah. that's going to be the, the best way to kind of judge how this works out. One of the biggest things we'll have to keep an eye on is something that I'm always trying to keep an eye on, and that's just how numbers work. So if we end up losing too much or we're not able to have enough, like just keep an eye on if our gain is enough or if we're losing too many just the numbers of everything so um i believe there's a new character sheet that i put up in dropbox maybe if not i have made it and i'll put it up there that does include sanity you guys don't have to rework your character sheets you can just add sanity elsewhere um but when we start the first session of chapter three i will go over how we determine max sanity and we'll go from there and then anyone using upad uh can just really quickly move into a new character sheet so fair i yep. know Brittany's making a brand new character sheet that's going to be a lot prettier mm-hmm. um i'm not good at that so <laughs> cool that's here exciting. we are i'm excited the next rule that we encountered was during our boss fight with mathis where you guys froze him <laughs> and we didn't have a frozen rule. So what I wrote afterward was a creature that is frozen is encased in a frozen shell. A frozen creature cannot move, speak, or take any actions. Target, uh, blah, 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 sorry. Attack checks against the frozen creature have advantage. The frozen creature has resistance to all physical damage types. Um, a frozen creature may attempt an athletics check equal to the number of rounds that remain that they'll remain frozen. And if they hit that number, they break free. Right. I will reword that nonsense later. Knowing um, how it works, that makes sense. But yeah, basically, they roll an athletics check, and if they may, if they meet or exceed the number of rounds that remain in their frozen timer, then they'll break free. Right. Um, I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, like I said, I worded it horribly. Um, anytime a physical attack successfully deals damage to a frozen creature, it takes one round off the time that they remain frozen, and any heat source applied to the frozen creature will also remove this effect. This will likely come into play again, and it will probably be just as broken. <laughs> How do you guys feel about Frozen so far? Well, I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I also thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh... <laughs> And I also like the way we have everything affect its length, um, up to and including hitting it as we're helping him break the ice. So uh, I like that a lot. 
I know that Brittany came in to or got frustrated because she wanted to stab, like actually just stab the crap out of Mathis. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so to explain why you were not able to just gut him right then and there, I included the encased in a frozen shell. It makes sense. I understand. Cool. One other thing. This is something that applies when an aspect is applied to a form, but I feel like it is something that could potentially happen in extreme freezing weather. Are you guys on board with that, or is that something that you're nervous about? I think that would be cool. I think in extreme freezing weather, it makes sense, especially if it's like freezing rain or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to call it freezing rain. I also think if you were to use that to your advantage and use the ice aspect during one of those storms... We could have some sort of benefit for that as well, like helping what do you attempt to freeze them. Oh, okay, I see. Ooh, that's really cool. I would definitely agree with that. So here's here's where I'm nervous. You guys <laughs> completely destroyed my boss battle, um, and part of that was the fact that Mathis didn't have any um, survival checks, and then mm. I think that the only thing that the only like heat source he had was a chandelier up above. <laughs> And then you guys were all careful not to use any fire forms. So he just was trapped in this ice forever. So what I'm nervous about is that this is going to be an incredibly overpowered um, aspect that players could use to defeat really hard monsters that just don't have a survival skill or a heat source nearby. That would mean to me that Deathmasters would have to prepare encounters with the knowledge that players have this aspect in their artillery. Mm -hmm. Um... Or we might have to nerf it later. Right now, I have the length of a creature who is frozen equal to the um, caster's rank in the school that they use to cast that form. Uh, D6s. So if you have rank 1, it's 1D6 rounds. Whereas if you have rank 5, it's 5D6 rounds. So that's where I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I'm wondering if we should cap that somehow, like... Like, do rank D6 minus 2 or minus something. Rank 1D6 minus a certain number from every D6 or something. What if we just made it rank? You don't roll. It just lasts, like, my my reason is, like, 6. It just lasts 6 rounds. So you're saying it'd be your reason score instead of your, like, rank in the school. Mm -hmm. D6, okay. And you could still have it from anywhere from 1 to 10 rounds. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That might be a better way than like, oh, it can be anywhere from like literally zero to 60. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm on board with that. I'm on board with that. I'll change that rule. Actually, when we're done with this, I'll go and make that adjustment and that will hopefully balance it a little bit more. And then as we play with it, and obviously now we're going to use it a little more, um, as we mess with it, we can try and decide if it needs more nerfing or... I'm interested to see how you guys feel when you're frozen Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that was the original intention to freeze you guys (laughs) Um, but obviously that changed so i there's a chance we might encounter it in chapter three if not it's almost definitely going to happen again in chapter four we will revisit it after we've experienced it again sounds good cool so with the introduction of um sanity status effects i also wanted to create hp um stage effects i think we briefly talked about this at least the three of us where if somebody has full hp they get advantage on all skill checks Mm -hmm. and then once they drop below full hp they lose though that that like incredible buff 
Right. So what I did quickly this morning was I wrote three different stages of HP, and that's rested, wounded, and critical. Rested is somebody who is at full HP, not below. A wounded character is anybody who is below their max HP to half their HP. And then a critical character is somebody who is below half their HP to dead. Like I said, a rested character gets advantage on all skill checks no matter what. So that's mm-hmm. all attacks, all might, reason, all that kind of stuff. A wounded character loses all effects from being rested. They take a minus one to their reflex and they have advantage on intimidate checks. I figure since they're wounded, they're like... My thought process there is that they're bloody, so they're mm-hmm. a little bit more intimidating. And then uh-huh. also they've been wounded, so it's a little bit harder for them to move out of the way of some attacks. Does that make sense? Or do we want to just do advantage on intimidate checks? No, I, I definitely like the explanation for the reflex for sure yeah yeah for sure and then a critical character loses all effects from wounded and rested um they gain advantage on endurance checks a minus one to reflex and fortitude um and then their movement speed is halved because they're bleeding out and limping sorry did you say advantage on endurance checks disadvantage on endurance checks oh Oh, okay i was like i'm sorry what that doesn't make any sense wait well, if you're Kylo Ren, do you get advantage on endurance? <laughs> 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 Giant and cauterized wound. His movement speed yeah. is doubled as well, Kylo Ren's. He's wounded. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want the HP stage effects to be as um, detrimental as the sanity stage effects. Obviously, these will still hold um, a lot of sway in how a character encou- like handles an encounter, but it's not going to be like once you hit critical, you're not gonna. It's not going to be the death of you. And these and are going to happen a lot more often than the sanity ones are going to. So exactly. yeah, definitely. So even though I wanted them to carry some weight, I didn't want them to break your character. Does that sound fair? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, once again, a complication that I saw was that it just adds an extra level of complication to the game. Just makes it a little more complex, and that's not necessarily something that everybody's going to want to deal with. But I mean, I like that's not to say that everybody has to play with that rule. Like, you can always just no. be like, eh, that's dumb. Yeah, not at all. Nobody has to use our rules. Everybody is welcome to change the game how they feel. Or how it fits their story. So, um, do you guys have any additional thoughts on these different stages of HP? No, I think on the character sheet, I'm gonna like make a little like you're you know fully healed at this one, you're wounded at this one, and you're like wound, like critical at this one. Yep, and then just have a current HP box as well. Yep, that's kind of what I figured you'd do with sanity as well, just to make it so mm-hmm. it's easier to track. The next three the next three topics are more of topics of discussion than like actual rules I've added or anything. I wanted us to go over it and see what we thought, and then I can create rules and we can reflect on them next um, next chapter or at the end of the next chapter. Um, the first one is critical hits and misses. At the end of chapter one, Hello Adventurers, we decided to remove our rules for critical hits and misses for the time being. That way we can reflect on them and uh, change them up a little bit, get a like solid consensus on how it's going to work and then apply them into future chapters. Have we gone into that and thought about that much right now? Well, I've been trying to come up with something, and man, I got nothing. I I feel like rolling a six, allowing you to re-roll a dice, is really nice, and also can be really broken, but that's... 
I don't like I've been trying to think of a solution for that. I've been trying to think of some other method we could use. So far, I do really like rolling a six and then re- and then adding another dice to that. Mm-hmm. Have you guys not had that experience so far? Has it been more frustrating for you? No, I disagree. I think it's been working really well. I roll sometimes really well. Um, I just feel like it can get kind of broken sometimes. But fair. If everyone's on board for that, I'm into it. So the idea of a critical hit is that you will deal double damage when you exceed it, when you experience a critical hit. The idea mm-hmm. with a critical miss is that some kind of negative thing happens to you. I don't really care about a critical miss that much. Honestly, if you're rolling three ones, you failed, and that sucks, and that's disappointment enough. What if we we just keep critical hits the way they are? Like, when you roll a six, you get to roll an additional dice, damage, and attack. Um, Because then you're dealing more damage if you roll a 6 during a damage phase anyway. But we introduce a critical damage table. Anytime that a creature would get to roll an additional dice from that, uh, like during damage, and you are in the critical range of your health, you take a critical wound. Which would be something like from the Star Wars or the Empire table and stuff like that, where you like it takes a while for that kind of wound to heal, not just overnight. So then, if something is below half HP and you crit on it, allowing you to roll an additional d6, you would do something additional to it, like a, a critical wound. That's kind of dope. Do you like that idea, Britt? Yeah. So the uh, so that would apply to you guys as well. If a monster gets to roll an additional d6 for damage. Not mm-hmm. for not for the attack, but for damage. You guys would take that additional damage and then also gain a critical wound if you were below half HP. Um, so there would yeah. be another effect dealt to you. That also... Okay. Would we want would we want it to so the way that I was originally planning it, you know, five seconds ago, um, is that <laughs> I would do a brand like a, a table where it'd be a random table where you just roll a dice. Um, and then the critical wound that is applied is based off that dice roll. Um, and then if another wound is applied to that another critical wound is applied before that first critical wound is dealt with you would add the new dice roll to the old dice roll. Would we prefer to have us do a different kind of table where basically you have different um, areas that you could target? So like you could do head, torso, arms, legs, etc. And then a random dice would be rolled based off of what you wanted to target. Um, I've never played the Star Wars RPG game, so I don't know what the critical wound thing looks like there. Um but what I was sort of imagining is that on that table you could have different things. Like not all of them would be targeted to a certain body part, but some of them would be. And so then you could just do it that way and so you have various effects and then a few of them would do arm things and some of them could do leg things and some of them could do head things, things like that. Would you prefer it to be random or would you prefer... Because the way it works in Star Wars is you roll a D percentile and it's random. Okay. Um, whereas you were talking about actually targeting mm-hmm. a specific body part like in Fallout. I personally really like that idea. 
Right, and that would make more sense because if you're swinging at something with a sword, you're swinging in a specific direction at a specific place. So it's not going to be like, oh, I hit you on the shoulder and I critically wounded your leg. So I think more targeted would make more sense. And then maybe we could have a, like a target and then another list of effects that you could do on critical yeah. wounds. And then if somebody didn't want to, if they just wanted it to be random, you could roll a d6 to determine which portion of the body is targeted and then yeah. roll a d6 on the chart. Okay, I'm really liking where this is going. This cool. is not going to get applied next chapter. Okay. But in chapter four, it will be. I will work on the rules for this. Sweet. Because this is really cool. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. And another um, thing that people could use if they wanted and then not use at all if they don't want it. One other question surrounding this. Critical wounds, do they fully heal when, you are, when you're when uh, you resurrected? Or is that going to be something, something that sticks around with you and you need to heal afterward? So far, we've had scars appear on your guys' body right. based off of how you were killed and resurrected. So I think death would fix most things because I was decapitated once True. and came back with my head on me. But you have a scar around your neck I now. do. And I don't know if it made it into any of the episodes, but I mentioned like me rubbing my neck sometimes. Like we would talk about things. And I would like rub my neck. I, I like, wasn't. You, I didn't even remember you saying that. I don't. But I'm gonna, I don't I'm remember it. That's it in the episode, gonna, buddy. I yeah. don't have any idea. Okay. <laughs> I like. And that, it might have been stuff that got literally cut. No clue. Or, yeah, it might have got cut, but I definitely did it. <laughs> but so I think death would would fix those things because okay, you're not going to die and then come back with a broken leg or a severed leg. I just thought it'd be cool to like have you have you have to deal with that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I will say is it will only fix if it's a true resurrect resurrection, as opposed to as meaning opposed like if somebody to, gets resurrected on the spot with their like relic or whatever. Yeah, like with their um, black market whatever item I created that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, that's the only that. thing I will say is that any critical wounds will only fully heal on a true resurrection, not on a. Um, like half resurrection or on the spot resurrection. I'm really into that too because that would prevent like either characters or uh, enemies from being able to sort of resurrect with their own sort of like setup um, if you do certain things to their bodies. So like say when we killed Mathis and we were hoping to be able to find him in the vault but he probably came up somewhere else or could have come up somewhere else. Um, we could have done something to like prevent that by yeah. wounding him a certain way that if he came back somewhere other than like a legitimate phylactery... He would still have that wound. Yeah, exactly. I like this new plan a lot. I won't, Like I said, I'll make these rules and we'll apply them into chapter four. Anything else you guys wanted to discuss on critical hits and misses? Nope. Nope, I don't think so. All right. The next one is something that Brittany said you two already talked about. Um, so I'm going to mostly leave it up to you. But in the last episode, we also asked a question of whether or not we could cast a form and then have a second source apply the aspect to that form. Brittany said you guys had some ideas on that. Do you want to go ahead and share <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had been talking about if you wanted to cast, like if, if, you know, Brom had cast whatever meteor or whatever, 
and I wanted to cast the death aspect on his meteor, we would both have to spend the AP to cast both. So we would both have to spend the AP to cast meteor and then also to add the aspect. Um, Paul pointed out that maybe we should make a requirement that um, the characters doing this be one right after the other in the turn order and that that would take up both turns, that maybe it would do like extra damage. I'm into that. How would we do... What would we do for extra damage? What if we just made it so that it was the next rank in the form so like we've been we've been wanting i've been wanting to apply additional ranks to forms so that they do more damage than just that 1d6 and then they also have additional effects so what if we just said that when you when two characters cast a form from two different when one character casts a form from two different uh, sources and they both spend all that AP because Meteor, I think, by itself is three AP, and then you yeah. add another mm-hmm. one, so both characters would be spending four AP. Mm-hmm. It would instead of just being the rank one Meteor, it would go up to rank two. Okay. I would have to create all those ranks, mm-hmm. which is something that I can do. But I think that'd be kind of cool. I'm definitely into that. And then I think we should come up with something so that if you're already casting max rank forms you can still gain a bonus from getting that increased help okay so the and then that also relieves some stress from you so if we create that rule and you can come up with rank two or rank three for some forms you don't need a second or a third rank for all forms because we do have this universal rule that we can kind of sub in until we have another rank for everything yeah i wanted to create some perks that would allow you guys to do this kind of thing but not use the other character's turn. I thought that'd be a cool little addition. That way we're not always wasting somebody's turn just to you know, cast one form with an aspect. Yeah, that would be a really cool thing. That way we're, like somebody doesn't feel like they're wasting a turn because I feel like that is something that might happen. Yeah, now, is this something that would take effect at this arc or is everything we're talking about today not taking effect until like arc four? Uh, no, sanity, um, sanity stages, frozen, and rested wounded and critical are all happening in the next chapter and then since you guys already have a plan for chant casting um using two different sources i'm on board for using it in this next chapter okay the last thing before we get into monster stuff is um we changed the rules on ap spent to improve forms before it was plus one now you get to add a d6 I have, I have enjoyed this much more, um, yeah. this chapter. I think because we went from doing it this way originally to then doing plus one. But then in this one, we kind of nerf- nerfed it a little bit by doing the risk threshold, which I think is exactly what this whole thing needed. Because now instead of me spending my entire pool of AP to throw 30 dice, I have to watch what I'm doing. If I want an aspect, I have to calculate how much HP do I have? Is my endurance going to hold up? You have to calculate that, and I really like it. And then it also gives you that that big bonus. If you do risk it, you do get a bonus. It is a risk, and I like that. I don't know if you guys checked out the risk threshold, but there is a you die if you spend this much extra AP. Like, you don't have a choice. You're dead. Um, and then there's also a risk threshold table of if you fail, like if you spend this much, you automatically fail and this is what happens. I don't know if you actually saw that, but it yeah, exists. I saw some of those. 
and I'm pretty excited. So are we decided we're going to keep this for now? Yeah, I like it. And I wonder if you could also uh, sort of incorporate sanity into that a little bit with Ooh. the way you have the Aether Corruption, if that could be like incorporated a little bit. I like that. I will work on that, I think, because cool. that'd be cool. So that's all I really had to discuss about rules. Did you guys have any others that you might have that I might have missed? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. My biggest concern out of what we did was if anybody was opposed to re-rolling sixes because they felt it was too broken. I definitely sometimes felt like it could have been too broken, but if everybody else is on board, I am. So I enjoyed it. Like cool. you, it's. Your, your same chances or your, the same odds exist in Necroforge as they do in Yahtzee. So. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to our rules episode in between arc two and three. Um, after this, we're going to be doing a monster introduction, um, just because it's it's something that one of our listeners suggested that we do um, in between uh, in between arcs, even if we didn't have any new characters to introduce. So we're going to be talking about um, the Draugr that we all fought in uh, the Savory Sanctum, which is going to be super cool. Real quick thank you to Darren Curtis, who's the guy who produces all the music we use in the show. He does a lot of music for commercial and non-commercial projects to use for free, so if you want to check him out, go to darrencurtismusic.com. Just a reminder, our alpha guide is available at bit.ly front slash forge alpha. Um, we also have a form for feedback, or you can just email us at guildofmisfits at gmail.com. And that goes for if you have any questions or comments about the show as well, email us or contact us through Facebook, Instagram, or Podbean. I did have one announcement. Um, Richard, the uh, gentleman who plays Thurgo and... Um, Brahm in the show has some personal stuff going on so he's going to be bowing out of the show for a little bit um, we're going to be bringing in one of our very good friends um, to to play in his place for a little bit um, he's not going to be playing Thurgo and Brahm but he'll be playing a character of his own and then hopefully uh, very soon uh, Richard will be able to rejoin us and then we'll have four players again so just because of that we are going to be taking a little bit of a break hopefully just a couple of weeks and then we will have a prologue episode for dylan all to himself so that he can introduce you guys to his characters um or just i guess his character that he'll be playing this arc um and then we'll introduce his next one the next time we play sylvie and humility so hang in there um we'll be back soon and thank you guys so much for listening Um, it was suggested that maybe we showcase some of our monsters and encounters. As I was telling everybody earlier who's playing, I do, or I am, really proud of all the monsters that I've made so far. I really enjoy making them, and I have a lot of different inspiration. Um, I embarrassed myself in front of Aaron Mankey saying this at Comic-Con, so that was cool. Wait, what? What? I just, I just felt awkward. <laughs> Basically, I told him that I really, I told him that I really appreciated his podcast and that it has inspired me to do things of my own. And he felt uncomfortable, and it made me uncomfortable. So that was exciting. I mean, everybody in that situation was uncomfortable, especially me, because I was like, "Hey, can you sign it like this?" And he was just like, "Yeah, sure." And Paul just like abandoned me. <laughs> I think Aramaki's really good with kids.
He and is. He's so good with kids. Other, other people. Because I watched him with his kids and he did great. I'm yeah, going to be honest, I think, listening yeah. to some of his stuff, he seems like an awkward human. So I don't oh, think so, he should be offended. So, so awkward. At the, at the panel, he was not awkward. No? But like face to face, he was awkward. And then you complimented him very highly. And I don't think he should be offended by that getting awkward. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the topic of Aramaki, um, Aramaki actually was the inspiration for the Draugr. I would also just like to say that I also have been really proud and really impressed of these monsters that you've created. Because not only are they like kind of exciting when we meet them, but you have super awesome descriptions and they're usually really unique and they do different things when we were fighting the creepers in the prologue that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed just imagining being there and cutting down those gnarly plant zombie things and the draugr was exciting and terrifying and the consumed are always terrifying every time we see something blue i'm worried it's a wisp or a consumed (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I, I he just like really cries impressed. about it sometimes. <laughs> I do. Those wisps give you They're nightmares. <laughs> they do. Smallest little guys, and they just terrify me. I'm I'm pretty impressed. It's all pretty fantastic. So, I really appreciate that because it's like making monsters is so hard. It is so hard. Well, but you do I, a crazy good job. Thank you. I can't wait yeah. for you guys to encounter the fallen because they are a lot of fun. I'm I'm always looking forward to when you say I can't wait for this because. I know that that means I shouldn't want to wait either. (laughs) It's it's, so good. That's why. it's good. All right. So if I recall, the lore, according to Aaron Mankey, behind the Draugr is that it was a dead person who was slighted by somebody who still lives. And so they would haunt their dreams, causing these horrific nightmares. Until finally, the Draugr encountered that person like rose from the dead and walked to that person and killed them and at that point the draugr was released of this curse the other person died everybody was dead because nobody's happy in this situation a lot of people probably recognize the word draugr from skyrim and yes the draugr is a zombie there's so much more than that but listen it's different than a zombie it is yeah in norse mythology there's much more to it i it, it was basically a zombie and it would like chase down people as well. This one, I kind of basically, I took what Aaron made, he said about a drugger in lore and I changed it to fit the world of Necroforge. Basically, the idea of the drugger in Necroforge is that it is a guardian of death and something that Morrigan, the goddess of death, possesses in order to track down those who have stolen or desecrated graves and dead bodies. Those who have done this experience horribly traumatic nightmares, but mostly a lot of people who encounter Draugr or Morrigan experience nightmares, like Sylvie, just so we all know Mm. there was a reason behind those dreams. In addition to the nightmares that the Draugr causes, it will also somehow leave an item from the nightmare on the bedside table of their victim. That way when the person wakes up, they will wake up to see that item and know that that nightmare was more real than they thought it was or than they may have hoped it to be. Basically, a Draugr's biggest strength is the slow 
destruction of a character's sanity, of a person's sanity. I wanted to do more than that. So in the description, I do have it state that they will haunt the dreams of those who have um, the the haunt the dreams of the grave robbers and resurrectionists and stuff like that. Um, it also has the death projection, which is one of the coolest things. Um, basically, it just like creates projections of itself to frighten the person even further like when they actually encounter them in battle um otherwise it simply just has that death mist and the slam because they are still super strong um but that death projection was the way that i basically incorporated the fear and the nightmares that the draugr creates into combat if that makes sense does that make sense or am i just Uh going crazy no it makes sense i like it i also though like how you you say the death mist is simply a thing as though it wasn't something that utterly terrified most of us because we saw it kill someone. Yes. <laughs> that didn't get recorded. As the Draugr levels up, it gets two new abilities. Um, the first one is its intimidating ability. Once per round, if a creature were to attack the Draugr or one of its projections, instead of targeting the Draugr's defense, the attack targets the Draugr's intimidation. If the Draugr succeeds against the check, the attack misses. I think that happened. I think that happened once. I think it did, yeah. Um, because obviously it leveled up. Um, and then its second level up ability is immediate transferal. If the Draugr is not killed with fire, the spirit of Morrigan immediately transfers into the closest dead creature. The creature then gains the undead trait, learns the death aspect, the mist and form. Uh, sorry, the mist and projection forms, and gains five ranks in glamour and one rank in thaumaturgy. All other stats of the of that creature, the one that died, remain. That is a decision I made because Morgan is the raven. Like, that's Morgan's avatar. Her little small one is the raven that's always perched on the shoulder of the Draugr. And that's how she possesses the dead. So that was that was kind of the inspiration, a little bit of information about the Draugr itself. What did you guys, or how did you feel during the encounter with this dead body? Uh, confused. How I wasn't come? sure... Like, I wasn't sure if um, if it was trying to kill us or... And, like, she didn't really interact with anybody other than Sylvie. And so I was just like, I don't know what to do, but, you know, Red's the dude we're looking for, so I guess I'll follow this guy. Like, I <laughs> just chose to, like, ignore, you know, the dead body putzing around up in his hotel room and instead, like, went after him. So I didn't really see a lot of it, but um, just, like, overall confused about why it was there. But, I mean, I think that was intentional. A little bit, yeah. I like it because we sort of witnessed some insanity from Red, and so it being that close to him kind of explains that, as it had already been haunting him for a while and was now so close that it was happening, this is now. So I like that we also got to witness that part of it, even if a lot of people don't realize um, that was something that was happening. He was just going insane because of this, this haunting. That deathness was horrifying. <laughs> um, I did change, and I'll probably actually change this in the monster too because I liked it a lot. But the deathness is not necessarily supposed to follow the Draugr everywhere it goes. It was just supposed to be cast in one location, just like a normal deathness is cast. But I thought mm-hmm. it was a lot cooler to have this deathness just continually flowing out of this dead creature. That way, it like require like it almost requires a distance from the creature, as well as just like adding a different vibe to it like it it's not like oh i'm surrounded by this death mist it's oh this thing is secreting this fucking death mist this is horrifying give a better visual something that i do want to point out in the description is in the description of this creature 
um, is that after the Draugr wakes, it will hunt down the Defiler until the slight against the burial grounds are corrected. The Draugr will not rest until all of the souls in the grounds are at peace, so it will wander for an eternity seeking the slider, which is actually the reason why Morrigan is still running around, because obviously there are a whole bunch of bodies out there. Red had stolen a whole bunch of them, and then Mathis was clearly a part of this. And so I didn't want you guys or our listeners to sit here and be like, why is this dumb bird still flying around when, you know, Red's dead? Mm-hmm. It's because there's a lot more going on than just what Red was doing. Red was just the first victim, and there right. will be many more. And then later on, Gross. it says the slider will also be plagued with horrible nightmares of their death. Morgan could not have predicted Red's death. Let me just say that. but did he have nightmares of like the death that she thought he would probably have definitely um he just did have nightmares of being impaled on an etheric wall listen (laughs) listen to me very carefully this is not my fault um so new question that was brought up by what you just said are the gods not like omniscient are they more like greek gods where they like kind of know a lot of stuff and they're like powerful, but they don't like know everything. I would like for you guys to learn that in the next chapter. I think, I think we're going to learn it from, okay. uh, I don't, I don't want to spoil much about the gods cause they're really cool. I have three like a Tyrio and Morgan, obviously. Um, but we'll learn more about them. We are not, we are not doing a subject matter on the gods. We are doing a subject matter on the Draugr. I don't really know what was lo- what was being looked for in this thing. Like showcasing a monster, I can totally get. But like discussing the encounter, the encounter happened. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to. Discuss yeah, like what is like I didn't really have anything to say about it, other than Maddie ruined it <laughs> <laughs> by yes. by making this dude trip down the stairs and impale himself on ethereal spikes, and then it was made worse. <laughs> By the spikes then disappearing and him just bleeding out onto the ground. One thing I forgot is that Ariel actually blew him up afterward. Yeah, yeah she exploded he's him. gone. I definitely yeah. forgot that happened. So I'm really glad that I wrote and that I said in the epilogue, the remains, Red's remains, not body, because there was nothing left of his body. Um, I didn't really want to go over any of the other monsters because the half-orc we didn't really do much with, and then... Um, Mathis, you guys just kicked his ass nice and quick. Um, and we'll encounter Mathis again in the future, I'm sure. So I don't really feel like we need to look too much into them. If we wanted, I can go ahead and tell us tell you guys a little bit about Red, the resurrectionist. I do want to say really quick that um, dying so hard suck or like dying so much sucks. It's really, really hard to do anything with your character when your character just Leroy Jenkins is it up all the time. But, like, that's not her frustration. She doesn't give a shit. I do. <laughs> I care. Oh, you're so, so you're just frustrated that your character keeps killing herself? Yeah, yes. Um, that is something that I think we talked about maybe being a frustration. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want, I can talk about the uh, Red the Resurrectionist, if you like. Real quick, go over some of his nonsense. Yeah. So, Resurrectionists are cursed by Morgan. The moment they steal a body, they have desecrated... Um, the cave of echoes and a draugr is raised or is yeah, is raised to deal with them um therefore they have these stats cursed resurrectionists are believed to be cursed by the pagan goddess of death morrigan 
They have a weakness to ethereal damage, which is why he took extra damage by falling on your spikes. Cannot regain maximum HP um, from death damage, and cannot regain HP from the life aspect. Resurrectionists get messed up nice and quick. Um, they are equipped Smuck. with leather armor, and they wear a light shield in addition to whip, uh, in addition to a whip. Um, and then, because resurrectionists are not members of the order, um, they become excommunicated. So, because of that, they do not have a phylactery, even though they are aether touched. I felt like that was an important touch because Red died, um, and that's also why Mathis was super sketchy about that phylactery question. That's why I was super thrilled when you asked that question and also super put off. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing is that resurrectionists are roguish. Um, They're good at what they do and are very difficult to track. Survival checks used to attempt to track the resurrectionists have disadvantage. Hmm. And that is why the Draugr could not track red without your guys' help. That's kind of really cool. Yeah. It's good to know though too because we were like, what the hell? Yeah. yeah, and it kind of explains um, a little bit of why the Raven was following you guys around at Red's house and then like attacked after you found him. Yeah. Um, there was another explanation to why um, the Raven wait like was waiting for you guys to attack Mathis, and I'll just give it to you because you're never gonna like know it otherwise. Basically, when Mathis went in to dissect the body of whoever was in there, um, he put up a like an enchanted barrier prevented any um, ethereal sources from getting in there unless the barrier was breached via opening a door. <laughs> I figured there was some sort of thing he had done and that the minute we, cause the minute that door opened, the it went down and then she arrived. Yeah. I thought it was something like that, but yeah. And I'm editing that episode right now and she said some shit like finally and I'm like left. Yeah. so yeah that's why she couldn't get in is because there was no method of like there was no way of um breaching it ethereally Mm -hmm. um unless that seal was broken which was broken when you guys opened that door and that's when morgan was able to get in so there were there were a lot of reasons for why i did what i did in in those uh different encounters but a lot of them are really like small things that won't usually come out in the podcast which is why i wanted to make mention of it here and i really like them because it's sort of like well, if this goddess wanted him dead, why didn't she just go kill him? Why'd she have to wait for us? She had to wait for us because she couldn't actually find him. Or yep. she couldn't actually enter that room without us doing something about it first. So I like that a lot. That was pretty much all I had. Like, I have a lot more monsters next chapter. Um, like, a lot. I have a number of fallen. There's a potential to fight Forsaken. And then there's... Um, some other stuff that I don't actually know what to do with yet, so we'll figure that out. I also created a really cool little tiny monster. It's called a... Uh, oh, shit. What is it called? Sorry, give me a second. I'll look it up. An Aether Eater. That was easy. Basically, it, it it's called an Aether Eater, and um, it gains energy and resources to live based off of eating Aether, and that means that it could eat Aether Touched. So it's like... It's a, a, a beast... An animal that could be tamed, um, but because it eats aether and therefore can eat aether touched to gain the resources it needs to live and gain sustenance, it becomes a dangerous creature, especially around aether hold. So that was a really cool one that I look forward to maybe encountering. It's a random encounter, so who knows. 
That is interesting. And the perfect pet to a Forsaken. It sure is. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, Sorry we didn't have more characters for you this time. I think we're going to stick with two arcs instead of doing like four or something ridiculous like that. Because, I mean, two characters is hard enough to keep track of. So... Thanks. Love ya. Bye. Lark. Love ya. <laughs> <laughs>